Never afraid to go niche. On today's podcast, we are talking about small self-administered pension schemes, sometimes known as SSAS. And this is niche, but if you fit the criteria, it can be a fantastic way to guarantee and transmit intergenerational wealth, as we're going to hear. And it's also useful if you're looking to leverage some property or just leverage the value of your pension scheme. As ever, none of this is advice. Do your own research and consult an expert. But hopefully, this episode is useful. If you like these podcasts, don't forget new episodes come out every Tuesday. If you're not subscribed, you're going to miss them. And if you could leave us a review and a rating on your podcast player of choice, it really helps others to benefit from this information. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the Medics Money podcast, Dennis Hall from Yellowtail Independent Financial Advisors. You're back, Dennis. I'm back. You also are a fellow podcaster, and it's called The Century Plan. I love your podcasts, but how's that going? It's Well, it's early stages. We think we've done about a dozen episodes or thereabouts, certainly in the bag. I'm not sure if they've all been released yet. Hard work. Hats off to you, Tommy, for what is it, 174 episodes. That's real commitment. Now that I'm doing it, I can see how hard it is. It's okay. I'm going to give you some tips on how to make it easier. But I love your style because it's like a good blend of technical analysis and then pragmatism because there's what the numbers say and then there's what emotions say. And the right answer often lies in between those two. So definitely check out the Century Plan podcast on all good podcast players. But let's get into today because we are talking about something called SAS. And it's not like a regiment, secret regiment of the British Army, but something else entirely different. It is. Small self-administered pension schemes, basically. But if you Google it, you'll end up with something around Microsoft Analytics. I don't know. SAS as as an acronym, you'd think would just mean one thing. (laughs) Yeah, software as a service and special... Special air service. Air service, thank you. Special, Uh, special air service. I've embarrassed myself in front of a former military man there, I'm sorry. But uh, yes, tell us about SSAS. So a lot of people will have come across... SIPs, self-invested personal pensions, a way of having a lot of individual control over how their pensions are invested. But there is, and from about 2012, SIPs really took off, I think, with sort of pension freedoms. And there, there had always been another pension, the small, you know, SAS schemes that sort of fell sort of into, by the wayside, but have made a re-emergence. These are small, relatively simple employer-sponsored schemes. So they're typically for small companies where there are fewer than twelve members, and they uh, and everyone sort of is in this, that pension scheme together. Typically, directors, owners who are employees, and other employees who may be family members in that scheme who want a lot more control and typically has been used for property purchase. Hi, Matthew here, and I've got under a minute to tell you five reasons to check out what medical school doesn't teach us, a podcast by Medics Money for med students at F1 Doctors. Number one, 
investing early, find the true power of starting as early as possible and getting towards financial freedom. Number two, improve that credit score. You'll be very likely surprised at what can actually impact your credit score, but don't check it out just yet as I've still got three reasons why you should check out MSDTU. Number three, moving to Australia and beyond. What? Number four, entrepreneurs from across the world of medicine from Beyond Health Tomorrow to EGP Learning who are changing the game. Number five, your own well-being. Because seriously, what's more important than that? You can find all these episodes and more on your podcast player of choice. Search for what medical school doesn't teach us or find the Medics Podcast Network. 47 seconds. Boom. Okay, interesting. So lot, a lot different to a sip. I mean, what, who's it for? And, you know, what, what's your typical kind of client that you sort of steer towards this and why? So family companies... And family companies where there might be some intergenerational planning going on and where they may, the company owns its premises, that's one area. We've been doing quite a bit of work with dentists and dental practitioners who own their own practices. And the same thing could apply to consultants who may also have their own practices or husband and wives who may have their own separate limited companies, but operating from the same uh, premises. And they both may want to sponsor that pension scheme, pull their assets and buy that property. So it's that kind of smaller family-oriented couple or sort of partners who are very closely linked together who want to start managing things around their pension scheme and bring generally a property asset into the mix so that they can start avoiding capital gains tax issues in the future. But it's good for intergenerational planning. It's It might also be good for releasing capital in the pension scheme and maybe lending it to the business if the business has a sort of a cash flow issue or putting money into a pension and well we can talk about some of those case studies shortly yeah okay should we get into the case studies because that can kind of often help to people to visualize who it may benefit and who it may not and some of the pros and cons because there's always pros and there's always cons yeah and the, the There are pros and cons. I mean, if it's a very simple thing and a couple of you, you may want to look at just a group SIP arrangement because two SIPs can come together as individual pensions and between them can start buying property and they both have a distinct share of that property. And that can be a lower cost option potentially. But as you start getting more and more people involved, the SAS suddenly comes into its own as being quite attractive. But the downside with a SAS, and I know I'm not there at the case studies yet, but the downside of a SAS is that it takes a little bit longer to set up. Pre-COVID, maybe three months to get HMRC registration. Post-COVID, as we're seeing, everything seems to take longer, six months. So this isn't a sort of let's do something on a whim. I want to set up a pension. You can set up a SIP within, well, within the next hour if you ask me to. But, but a SAS, we've got to be thinking some time ahead. Yeah, and that's because they have to be registered and all kinds of other things. Yeah, and there are responsibilities then for that sponsoring employer to then make sort of annual declarations to the pension regulator. You know, it's, it's then authorised by. So there's a lot more thought about it, but it does come with some great benefits. I'm just trying to think of some ones that we've used historically. And I'll start with dentists because I think that's probably the, the, sort of closer to the audience that are listening today. We had a couple of practitioners who had, on their own had bought their practice premises, incurred debt, and they were receiving the rent from that practice into their own income. 
and paying 45% tax on it. The premises themselves are going to be subject to CGT, and they were carrying some debt. But alongside, you know, as well as their NHS pension, they'd had some personal pensions. So we combined all of those things together, and we put those into a SAS. They were continuing to make contributions, and there came a point where there was enough money in the SAS to buy the premises off them individually. At that point, there was a CGT issue, but they were going to be developing those premises. So there was going to be a bigger CGT problem later on. So they put that in there. They were able to release themselves from personal debt. They created about 250000 apiece. They were no longer receiving the rent. This was the big one. The rent was then going into their pension, as, and it didn't count against their personal contribution limit. So they were getting rent into the pension. That was being received by the pension tax-free, no longer paying 45% tax on that as taxpayers. So that was making their own personal tax situation a little easier. And they're building up this asset now free of capital gains tax. And you know it's sitting very nicely and uncomplicated in the pension, but gave them both 250000 in their pockets to make their own personal financial situation a lot easier. Releasing capital. Yeah, sounds great. Like, that's the pros. <laughs> Got any cons? That was a pro, yeah. <laughs> took several months to, to get that in order. And it took a little while to get enough cash into the pension scheme. You know, we were getting them to fund contributions for a couple of years. So this, as I say, wasn't instantaneous. The SAS could have borrowed money, but we didn't want to borrow money in this case. We didn't want to replace one set of borrowing with another. This was about just clearing it and just, I suppose, taking that weight off their shoulders. And we've done that on several occasions where we've been able to use money with it that's tied up in a pension scheme and move a property in, unlock that and help people clear personal debt. Because, you know, people have been on property purchasing and, and such like, you know, some people are very attracted to property as an investment and they buy it and they buy it. And now we're seeing interest rates coming up. What if you use money that's locked in a pension scheme, release that into the hands of the people so they can just pay down debt, not pay these higher mortgage rates as they're coming up for renewal. Yeah. It's very attractive. Awesome. Okay. It's pretty niche, but certainly some of our audience will definitely be in those criteria for sure. To those of our listeners that are interested in having a side hustle, earning extra money is extremely easy and stress-free with today's podcast sponsor, Sermo. Sermo is a social media platform only for doctors that, among other things, offers paid medical surveys tailored to your area of expertise and which you can take from the comfort of your own home or on the go. What's more, you'll be able to connect with 1.5 million members worldwide, get second opinions and keep up to date on medical news, all for free. You can join now at sermo.link forward slash medicsmoney. That's sermo, S-E-R-M-O, dot link, forward slash, medics money. Hope to see you on there. Do you have any other kind of examples that might be relevant? I do. You know, when we're thinking long term about retirement, it looks as though all the income and all the assets are being held in one spouse's name, you know, the working spouse. And somehow we want to try and create some equality. Very often you know, the non-working spouse 
well, I say non-working. The non-qualified spouse might be in the practice, you know, working, but is not really building up pension assets at a great rate. So we use the sponsoring scheme as an employer to start building up pension contributions in their name so that when they reach retirement, we're beginning to equalize a little more the income coming into the household. So it's not, you're not wasting the allowances. So we can do that within the SAS by allocating growth from certain assets into the spouse. We can start putting contributions in the spouse's name into that pension scheme. And there's a little bit more control on an annual basis so that we can begin to transfer, if there's a property in there, we can begin to transfer the share of the property out of the higher earning spouse into the lower earning spouse's name so that the future growth is falling into another part, into the other side. Yeah, and this kind of harks back to classic tax planning, which is to try to consider your tax planning position as a family, yeah. uh, you know, because it's sort of spreading the allowances over everyone. Yeah. Yeah, and, and thinking long term as opposed to what's the best thing to do today. What are we trying to achieve long term? And can we use a slightly more flexible pension arrangement where the assets are pulled in one pension rather than sitting you know, some assets in one person's SIP, some assets in another person's SIP, and the ability to move those across or pull them gets much more difficult, well, virtually impossible. Yeah. So we've got that situation where we've got there. Again, classic ability of a loan to a company. So the something we've done most recently is there was a practice loan, about a quarter of a million pounds of practice loan. The rate had just jumped up to 8.5%. Is 250,000. There was 300,000 pounds in a pension scheme in a normal SIP, but a SIP cannot lend money to, to the company, to the connected party. So we moved that into a SAS. It took a little while and we replaced that bank loan. So now the lender was the SAS. We fixed that at 7% over a five year period. And essentially, again, the company was paying money into the SAS not to a lender, the SAS owned by the, by the sponsoring employer, essentially. So again, it's a way of keeping more of that money, releasing money that is already in a pension scheme to the company, pay down debt, become essentially debt-free because you, you're owing it to yourself. So out of your trading profits, pay the interest that you would have normally paid, but paid into your own pension alongside your own personal contributions or company contributions. Yeah. So I'm guessing a lot of property owning dentists and GPs ears have just perked up when you've just said that because the cost of borrowing is going up. Notional rent is unfortunately not going up significantly, but you cannot do it from the NHS pension. You would need an additional SIP pension in place already to then facilitate that transfer. Have I understood that correctly? Yeah, or? You'd, need, you'd need something. Now, if you don't have much in the way of, you know, if you've got a lot of private practice earnings and we use carry forward and you've got liquid assets to try and boost up your pension, you can accelerate that process. As I say, it's probably going to take six months to get a SAS registered with HMRC anyway. So it's a bit of longer term planning. And you think if you think you've got a sort of a mortgage review coming up or a rate review coming up in the next 12, 18, 24 months, start that planning now. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, you could spin it up quite quickly if you've got the cash spare and additional carry forward that's needed. All right, 
that was awesome. Two great examples. Got any more examples? Yeah, this is very niche. <laughs> we love niche. I'm waiting for this. <laughs> so we got people that are owning several properties, but they owned it in conjunction with somebody else. And that somebody else was getting divorced and they needed to separate and they just didn't have the liquid assets themselves. So we used money from the pension schemes, moved all that into a SAS and used the SAS to buy out the interest in the other party. So now the co-owners of the business are the pension and the original owners. So the SAS has bought the co-owners because they didn't have the capital, you know, didn't have the capital to buy out that person, but the pension fund did. Makes it all very nice, very clean, and it's gradually moved. And there was no CGT in it for them because, you know, it was, the, it was that co-owner of the property. As I say, it was niche. This situation doesn't arrive every day, but it's just another bit of flexible thinking. How can we achieve this? How can we get this person out of our lives, take ownership of that, if we haven't got money and we don't want to borrow? Ah, there's a pension fund here. Let's use those. Let's use the money in that pension fund. It really is a way of having a much greater control over money that you've been putting away into your own pension fund to begin to determine and shape what you're going to do with it. Yeah, I mean, it is niche, but in the right circumstances, it sounds incredibly advantageous. So if somebody's thinking, you know, they fit into one of these niche categories and they're thinking about doing this, what's the sort of general guidelines of where they should start and whether it could work for them or not? Theoretically, you could do most of this yourself. You could become a sponsoring employer and go to HMRC, but you could save an awful lot of time and headache and the unintentional breaking of rules by working with an experienced financial advisor. Um, yeah. And someone who has had some experience, they are very different beasts, different regulators, slightly different regulations, a small self-administer scheme versus a self-invested personal pension. I would definitely take professional advice there just to look at that and see how that might shape up. Because a lot of that is going to be around moving money and looking at what borrowing capacity is and where are you going to borrow from? Are you going to borrow from the company itself? Because the company could become a lender if it's if it's got cash. Yep. Awesome. Okay. That was so good, Dennis. Thank you so much for doing that, stepping in at last minute. I hope that Mushtaq is recovering well. And check out the Century Plan podcast on your usual podcast platform of choice. Have you got any teasers of what's coming up episode-wise on that? Uh, we were talking about the human side of money, which I know we've spoken about before. We've just done an episode that, uh, that we've recorded where we, I suppose, we're talking about three questions that help define I suppose, somebody's real interests and goals, financial goals in life and how that sort of how do you pin that down if you're trying to create a long term financial plan? So that's what's coming next. Awesome. Behavioral finance is so underrated. So many people think just about the numbers. But unfortunately, if it were just about the numbers, your job would be incredibly simple as a you financial just read a advisor. Book, you? You'll put it in a spreadsheet and it's never the case. It's actually never the case. Yeah, brilliant. Um, it's about emotion, and there's just something that Mushtak wanted me to mention, and I think you've mentioned it before. It's this emotional side. 150,000 people have opted out of the NHS pension scheme in the last year, which is clearly an emotional decision because logically I can't see the reason for doing that. Yeah. I don't know if you've got any thoughts. I know you've mentioned this, but it's that's a crazy statistic. 
Yeah, I mean, we've done a episode on this and it kind of the data breaks down into I think about around about half of those people cited affordability as the reason, which is absolutely terrible that, you know, the NHS is not paying hardworking employees enough that they can contribute to their pension scheme. And then the other half is I think it would just say defined as other financial priorities. And that is the scary half for me because, uh, yes, no advice, but I can't think of many better investments than the NHS pension. It pays you a guaranteed index-linked income for life once you've served your time in NHS custody, of course. But uh, yeah, and that's not advice. Of course, we have to say that. But uh, yes, uh, I think half of them were affordability and that's just terrible. And obviously why there's lots of strikes going on in the NHS. And the other half were other financial priorities, which I'd be intrigued to know what those other yeah, priorities were. It, it, it does seem strange because now we've got inflation coming up. The value of that index-linked pension has it, it is now coming to the fore. We've forgotten about inflation. You know, it was three decades ago we had serious inflation, and, and you know, we almost we did touch double digits, and that's all locked in into that pension scheme. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we've done a YouTube on that. And our email subscribers will have got a detailed breakdown of, I think it was called 10 reasons not to opt out. We could have done about 50 reasons, but we had to keep it to 10. For- I think you can. I'd love an NHS pension. I won't get one ever. If you're listening, that is a really powerful statement, right, from Dennis, because Dennis has a private pension and he's saying he would love to switch to the NHS. And it's a really important part of your remuneration as an NHS employee, you know, it's like delayed pay. The NHS has said, okay, we're going to pay you X amount for working today. And in retirement, we're going to pay you X amount forevermore. And we're going to protect that amount from inflation. If you opt out, you are losing part of that benefit of being in the NHS. So again, not advice, but just have a look at that. 10 reasons not to opt out. We could have made it 50 reasons. We didn't. Yeah. Well, I cannot buy a pension that does that job. Not at a decent price. Not at the price that it's being sold to NHS employees. And I know there are affordability issues, but you'd have to be, that has to be the last thing to go in my mind. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, half of those 150 citing affordability, it is a marker of how NHS pay has not kept up with inflation and NHS employees who perform difficult, life-saving work hand saving work in my case thank you for yeah. everyone involved there are not able to afford the to contribute to their pension and i think that's something that as a nation we should be ashamed of and i hope that no one wants to go on strike but i think we need to start seeing some realistic movement there because clearly with over a hundred thousand vacancies in the nhs right now if people don't want to come and work for your organization you've got a hundred thousand vacancies something is seriously wrong so yeah All right, that was a massive tangent at the end, but I think a very valuable one. Let's get that behavioral finance podcast booked in the diary because I'm really interested in that. I know that you are too, and hopefully Mushtaq will be back and able to join us and we can have a kind of a three-person discussion on that. That would be very good. Lovely. Take care, Dennis. And you. Thanks, Tommy. 